Greg is too logical. I think you're a Vulcan. See, here's the thing. Um, I'm too logical about math now. I've learned too much math to not look at numbers and things like that the way I do. And so things like 40 is right. not not important to me because I don't look at numbers that way. I wouldn't say I'm too logical because there's plenty of things where I'm illogical about. Yeah, I mean, so I was joking at the end of the show. Like, I don't feel like midlife crisis. Like, what have I done with uh, my life? I feel my life has been sure, great. Yeah. It, but when you look at it in certain, with certain lenses, like, I was 28 or 27 when we started this shit. Yeah. It's like, well, that's how it works, yes. But, but I mean, that, it's that, like, that's, holy shit. And, and, but I don't like... Do you mean I, I mean I don't feel like I'm forty? You know I feel the same yeah, way. In no, my mind I, I, I don't feel like I'm forty either, or thirty nine and a half. And <laughs> but it's uh, I mean it's a cold hard truth. But maybe maybe you know you are what you feel, right? And yeah, I still feel like you know playing with the kids and being I mean, the cool guy. <laughs> well, it's like you know I, I I even talked to my mother about this. She's like, yeah, I still feel like I'm you know. 19 or 22 or something yeah because why wouldn't you you don't you don't ever like get in your mind oh i'm old until you're you're really like infirm right Mm -hmm. so there's no reason for you to think that that being 27 is any different from being 45 yeah actually 27 was my like tipping point where like you know that that Maybe you don't appreciate this either. I think listeners will, but you're so, you know, you're so vocal when it comes to age. But like, when it said Jeff Bear is 27, I'm like that's the year that I felt I was old. Like not old, okay. old person, but maybe yeah, yeah. maybe adult. Yeah, sure. Maybe uh, the I know the time when I first felt I was an like an adult was I was probably around 23 or 24. But somebody called me in a store called me sir. And that was like that was different. Uh, yeah, I think twenty like before twenty seven, it was kind of like I got my whole life ahead of me, <laughs> and not not yeah. twenty seven felt like the end is near, but twenty seven felt like a significant por- portion of my life has passed. Right. So part one's over. Yeah, yeah. Twenty yeah. sevens uh, yeah. when that happened. Okay. Me. No, I I can buy that. There are certainly milestones on, on a journey where they come is is not set mm-hmm. uh you know it, it's relative to everybody uh but there are definitely you can identify especially when you are looking back which with hindsight you can identify sort of your milestones mm-hmm. the, the, the periods that happened i just don't know whether associating them with with age i know i hear you it's just for me, it's like, you know, 26, still a kid. 27, oh, not a kid anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, that's kind of the, yeah. when it happened. Yeah. I think part of the issue is that we we take it too seriously, uh, the idea of transitioning from one thing to another, whereas mm-hmm. we're not like, we're, we don't get into a cocoon and, and change our bodies. There's right? not a metaphor. More yeah. Yeah. We, we, simply, we simply grow. Uh, and that, um, that, that, that is what it is. Uh, no, thank you. Um, I don't know, is this is Tori Amos. This is Regina Spector. Okay. 
I haven't listened to this album in a, I've only listened to it once or twice. It starts out a little weirder than I thought it would be overall. <laughs> let me put the good song on. Well, let me let me bring up something interesting because you t- we talked about spectrograph, mm-hmm. and what we just learned is sort of remarkable in 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 how it taught us what spectrography actually meant, which is. Uh, you know, when you, 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 you diffuse white light through some sort of gas and you get essentially uh, gaps mm-hmm. right. in, in, in the rainbow. And when the reason why that happens is because whatever atoms are there and, and they, they have their own... Uh, well, I mean, so we can step back to chemi- basic chemistry class, right. right? You know, you might have done the test where you took the little copper probe thing and dipped it in some powder and put it in the Bunsen burner, and it burned a certain color. Mm-hmm. And the reason it burns a certain color is not necessarily that it's burning, but its atoms are getting excited, and then when the energy is coming out of it, the electrons come back down to their lower state and give off light. Yes, and different chemicals give off different colors. They give so, off light, different energy, and right. uh, because of the way the atoms are formed, they have different energies in which that transition occurs. But this very basic principle—I mean, if this is new to you, this is going to blow your mind where Greg's going. Mm-hmm. Or if he doesn't go there, I'm going to go there. But I think Greg's going to go there. Yeah. It's going to blow your mind. But the idea here is that if you if you look at if you take a, a, a plain spectrum of white light, like you, you imagine that white light is coming through at all possible, um, you know, pos- possible percentages, then some of that white light is going to be absorbed by those atoms at whatever uh, energy they're able to absorb it. And, and it, it turns out they have pretty identifiable signatures. Yes, exactly. So you can then detect by either, depending on whether it's an emission or whether it's absorption, you can detect wh- by where the pits are or the val- where the, where the valleys are or where the, uh, um, not the valleys, but the peaks. Peaks, thank you. Where the peaks are, you can detect what kind of atom it is. Yeah, so constant- there is gaps at these three wavelengths. You know that it is hydrogen, that mm-hmm. kind of thing. Yeah. And so it's not just sticking a probe into a Bunsen burner two feet in front of your face. It's looking at stars across the galaxy, across the universe. You can tell the atmosphere of an exoplanet using this technique. Technique, Because it, it's the same everywhere. That's the, I, I suppose that's one of the axioms of physics, that we assume... That this works the same everywhere. And we assume that because it makes sense that it works everywhere. And it, 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 Well, we've talked about this before. Yeah. If they don't work everywhere, then what can you expect does, yeah. right? You can't predict anything right. if this isn't a foundational uh, premise. Mm-hmm. So when we understand that, when we adjust for things like Doppler effect and all the other stuff, then we start to be able to, yeah, we, we, we are, it was thought before spectrography was really mainstream or even really understood, it was thought we would never understand what the stars were made of. But then we realized, no, well, all matter works this way. Well, right, the atmosphere around a planet 17 light years away, or 150 mm-hmm. billion light years away, or whatever it is. And I know 150 billion isn't too far, yeah. but yeah, you can say, "Oh, look at these gaps." So the 
atmosphere is mostly nitrogen. Holy cow. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what Earth looks like to people 150 billion light years away. Again. I might as well say a bazillion. <laughs> Greg's having a real issue with me using the number 150 billion. The universe is 93 billion light years wide. So. <laughs> <laughs> we think. Well, the observable universe. Oh, okay. So, I mean, right. well, we think that it goes on right. essentially forever, right. but 150 billion, we won't be able to examine a planet 150 billion light years away. Right. <laughs> I'm sticking with it. I'm owning it. <laughs> but yeah, it, you know, where you, like, yeah. okay, so you, you take the light, you break out its spectrum, uh-huh. and you find where the pits are in the light, and be like, that matches an atmosphere that is 73% yeah. nitrogen. Uh, 15% oxygen and whatever the rest carbon dioxide with some trace elements and mm-hmm. that's what Earth looks that, like that's what Earth looks like so th- that's the, the the beauty of this technique it's all based on this understanding of of um, transition of really atomic transition being based on a, on a specific energy level mm-hmm. and how they get the light from the atmosphere you probably know this but it's the same way that we were um we're looking for transits. This is what Kepler does. Mm-hmm. Uh, transit is kind of like a solar eclipse, where the planet goes in between us and its star. So the light of the star dims. So we take the difference. We got, okay, here's what the steady state light of star X is. Mm-hmm. And for a moment it dipped to Y. Let's subtract Y from X, and here's what's left over. That's the light passing through the atmosphere. Or a small fraction of that difference is the light passing through the atmosphere. Mm-hmm. So you have to use some really good math yes. to figure that out. And then you can figure out what the atmosphere... Yeah, and, and, and think about this. The, uh, you know, the peaks and valleys are a waveform, right? It's, it's just mm-hmm. you know, it's a waveform. And we, I've, I've told you about this before, but a Fourier transform is essentially taking all... You, know, you have a standard sine wave... And taking all of the elements that make up a standard sine wave, then turn a sine wave into, into some other crazy uh, waveform, mm-hmm. and you can then mathematically split those apart, and that's what you're getting. You de- is a Fourier transform. You you take the standard white light background, and you you match up all little parts that make that, and then those conform to your separate uh, elements. Uh, so the other thing that blows my mind here is imagine how small the angle is. Of the exoplanet's atmosphere from our perspective. Right. I mean, the angle from limb to limb of the star is itsy bitsy. Mm-hmm. The star is basically a point. You know? Yes. The planet is itsy bitsy compared to the star. And the atmosphere of the planet is itsy bitsy 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 compared to the planet. It just shows you either one of two things. Either how sensitive our instruments have become, or how deluded we are <laughs> in thinking <laughs> that we can that, actually that, see this that stuff. We're, that, that, that we're accurately uh, understanding what it is we're seeing. Yeah, because, I mean, the atmosphere of the Earth is only, what, 150 miles? Yeah, or? it's nothing. I mean, I, I think that uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson says that it, it's like... The lacquer on a globe, that's the thickness of the atmosphere. Whoa, really? Yeah. See, that's that's an analogy that I haven't appreciated. 
That's crazy. Yeah. I would have thought on a globe, you know, like a whatever the size of globe is, probably 15 to 18 inches or whatever it is, I would have expected the atmosphere to be half inch. No. Maybe maybe in my more ignorant times, an inch and a half. Mm-hmm. But think about it. It's, it's, it the, the Earth is, what, 6,000 miles yeah. in radius and 150 miles... And that's that's the the, the very t- you know the very yeah I mean that's that's there's no real atmosphere at 150 miles, yeah. and that's a number I'm pulling like you know after drinking seven beers so I could be I could be wrong let's check that one out <laughs> um, well this is the post show who cares about facts <laughs> um, yeah the lacquer on a globe if that's true and it probably is close I mean, that, enough probably, that yeah. that's another mind blowing I mean. It's a good demonstration. It's it's, good, it's it, our lifeboat, right? And yeah. It's, it's, it's yeah, cute. and we're seeing this a billion it, light years away. It also gives you an idea, though, of how small we are, right? If if the lacquer on the globe is the atmosphere, and we think of the atmosphere going up and up and up, we are, you know, a dust grain on that globe is the size of. Couple miles to the square, right? It's a township. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> it's it's hard it it's hard to contemplate size. And I admit, for all my understanding of math, I don't have a good like mental comprehension of the difference between size. I mean, I can make comparisons. But the difference between our size and atomic size, I can't get there with my mind. Yeah, it's you so many far. analogies, right? You got the marble in the stadium, right? Being Earth versus, or I guess the sun versus the solar system. Marble in the stadium, the sun versus the solar. I, 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 man, I think that's the analogy. I, I mean, I've heard, yeah, because I don't have a good grasp, I can't. I can't make that. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I've heard various. I've heard marble in the stadium. It's either Earth or the Sun. I can't. Mm-hmm. And Earth to the Sun is people don't. Even I, who know how vast the difference is, again, I don't grok it. I don't comprehend yeah. it naturally. Well, it's hard to get ninety million miles in your head. That just doesn't. But, I mean, just the size difference, like how like yeah. many, if you, again, volume's tricky. People can't comprehend volume. So saying how many million Earths can fit inside the sun, right. no good. Yeah. Just line them up side by side from limb to limb, right? Yeah. You know, that that's easier for people to Well, here's, here's one that I love. You can fit, if you were to do that, you can fit all of the planets in the solar system, including Earth, between the Earth and the moon. Mm-hmm. And Jupiter takes in most of that. Space. So, because <laughs> yeah, we, we, we think of the moon as, as very close. The moon is 250,000 miles away. It, it's mm-hmm. it's far away. Uh, it's, it's close in astral, in astronomical terms, but it's, it's, it's far in terms of anything that any understanding of distance that we have. While we're talking about these things, now's the time to start making your eclipse plans. 
Hotels are going to oh. be hard to find and stuff like that. Next August twenty first yeah. is the eclipse. Ugh. I sent you a link on. You did put Slack. it on Slack. Did you click on it yet? Yes. It's a really cool uh, Google Maps um, layer thing where it shows you the path. But when you click on the path, it pulls up a little data thing and shows you anywhere in the United States. It shows you how good the eclipse is going to be, how long the totality lasts, things like that. Uh-huh. Uh, so I told you before I'm considering. Western Kentucky, Southern Indiana, or Southern Illinois is kind of a good... It's far enough away from the Great Smoky Mountains mm-hmm. to have reasonable weather and not too far that it makes it okay drivable. My monkey wrench is Dave is in Lawrence, Kansas. And if I'm already driving nine hours to Western Kentucky... I could drive 12 hours to somewhere in Missouri or Kansas and, mm-hmm. and, have, and you know, parlay that into some time with Dave and his family. Um, so that's kind of my, that's the best plans I have so far. Well, I, I had considered going out to, right, to Seattle, right? And then driving down to like to Portland or Oregon and mm-hmm. doing that. Right. I still may do that instead. I think you might want to fly into Portland and rent a car, drive a few hours out to like the high desert. I mean, if you look where it's at compared to Seattle, I don't know if Seattle flying to Seattle is probably not ideal. I mean, you could still put Seattle into your trip. Uh-huh. Yeah. Because um, the Oregon high desert is supposed to be a pretty good place to, uh, you know, weather-wise. It's, yeah. you know, some of the best odds of sunny skies in the country. And you're still looking at the, roughly the same... For, the the length of totality doesn't change very often. I mean, yeah. it goes from, you know, a minute, minute forty at its worst to two and a half at right. its best. Yeah. And it's still a couple hours of the whole process. I think it's probably, if I remember right, it's like two and a half hours from start to finish when this, the moon starts creeping into the sun to when it, the moon finishes leaving the sun. Well, it's there's a, gonna be. I mean, you know, a lot of the country is going to see something. I mean, here in Pittsburgh, there's yeah. it's not total eclipse, but I mean, it's a reasonable eclipse. But again, because they're so rare, I'm going to take the family to. Yeah, Path I, think, of I think it's a good, a good idea. Uh, it depends on, on what happens. Do you remember the eclipse from when we were like in elementary school? It was a partial eclipse. I remember. I remember plenty of eclipses from when I was in elementary, but not not like a solar eclipses. Really, there wasn't plenty. There, there were enough that I remember them. Because I, I, I remember, most of the time what I remember is I remember seeing like the light go through leaves and making like the weird uh, like half moons through, through the leaves because of the... the really? Yeah. You, you remember like many instances of this? Or? Enough, that, well, enough that I can remember them, sure. Huh. I, as far as I know... I was always interested in this stuff. Well, sure. Mine was too, but maybe not as much as you. As far as I remember, there was only one partial eclipse visible from Pittsburgh in my lifetime, or at least from when I was in school age. Well, they've all, yeah, no, no, there are partial eclipses are, are visible all the time. It's just partal, and so the the interesting there, thing is, is that uh, solar eclipses. I'm talking about lunar. Yeah, yeah, no, no, you're yeah. you're overstating how frequently they happen. No, I'm not. Yes, you are. Look at look up the history of of partial solar eclipses. There's a there's a solar eclipse roughly at least once every two years. And um, and they only cover like a, and, a and fifth we norm- of the Earth each yeah, time. We Most time get, it's in the ocean. We normally get a partial one if, if, at best, but um, 
the you can notice them through any like any pinhole camera or, or really anything that 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 light goes through like any uh anything that, that basically sets up pinhole cameras leaves are a great example and that sets up essentially pinhole cameras and so you can see mm-hmm. them in the i've seen pictures of million you know partial eclipses through a tree yeah, yeah. that's a really cool picture it was a strong picture of a day at one time I mean, I'm not saying it happened often, but I, I do remember them happening more than once or twice. Okay, so let's see. Annular eclipses. 1951 to 2000. Okay, so there was one in... Let's see, I can't see. May of 93 that was in the West Coast. You didn't get that one. Wait... Yeah, look, look, there's a Wikipedia page. So here is where you, you had to be like out in the ocean off California to see that. Even a partial eclipse on that one. Okay, so in 98, there was a partial eclipse you could have seen. I don't remember that one. So, okay, you're right. You're I'm wrong. There was an annular you could have seen. 84, 86, 1989, 91, 94, 95, 98, 2000, 93, uh, 2001, 2002, 2005, 2012. The 84 one was the one that. Yeah, that's the one that we were going to see, and it was uh, cloudy, so we never left the classroom. I was so bummed. And there, there are two closer, one in, in uh, 98 and one in 2000. So 98, uh, definitely, you know, there was enough that it crossed into all of us, sure. Uh, 2000, yeah, plenty of that was here. So, yeah. Uh, 94. Yeah. Well, eighty four. Total was, eclipses are more rare. Yeah, eighty four was always okay. You're right. Yeah, eighty four or ninety four is annular the whole way. Um, what percentage of the thing was covered there? Okay, you're right. I'm wrong. There's more eclipses than I thought. Greg wins. I'm not going to miss this one. Unless, like, weather really screws with me. Well, hold on. Let me, let me, I have something to play then. Okay. Oops. Let me find my music out. Or just pull the plug, I guess, there huh? You go. You're not going to miss it. Can I miss my... Let me just let this play. It's good stuff. <laughs> Uh, yeah, good musical if you can afford to see it. Um, no, Hamilton's great. What's that? Hamilton's great. Oh, it's so good. Yeah. And so, after I saw the pirate copy of it, even listening to the soundtrack, I'm comprehending more of the lyrics. Yeah. And I feel like I understand the story 
mm-hmm. so much more. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. The, the soundtrack is good, uh, but yeah, watching, seeing, seeing it makes you appreciate the the dr- dramatic aspect of it more. But even now that I have, uh, and it gets you, and the, yeah, because now that I have kind of a storyboard in my mind, I'm able to appreciate like more of the historical nuance of the lyrics and more of the characters behind yeah, the, yeah. the the you know the people who are singing like you yeah. you get more of Aaron Burr oh for sure yeah and you understand why why that guy won the Tony because he was fantastic I mean it really is it, it, the funny thing about, about the Hamilton musical is it's more about Aaron Burr than is Hamilton in some sense I mean in terms of he, he narrates the musical right he he uh, mm-hmm. it's about well, it makes sense that it's kind of from his from his point of view, right? Yeah. Because he survived, mm-hmm. so and he was the most intimate person. I mean, him and Hamilton's wife. Yeah. Oh, it's so good. And I mean, the the cool thing I, I love the idea of uh, you know, like the guy who plays uh, Lafayette also plays. Uh, um, Jefferson, right? They, they, they switch mm-hmm. characters to different acts. Mm-hmm. There's lots of great stuff in there. Uh, and I, I do like the colorblind casting because it makes you not, it makes you suddenly realize it doesn't matter who you cast, the, the people you cast in these places. It, it's the characters that matter, not the. Right. I mean, the colorblind casting's good. I, maybe, maybe I didn't get the right thing from it. I kind of got that. You know George Washington, Thomas Jefferson being minority characters is taking the you know from two hundred years ago. You know it's it they weren't you know the British establishment were the white guys, right? Yeah, and then everyone else was at a disadvantage. So yeah. you know that's why Washington and Jefferson are black. You know, or, or who? Will, I mean, I, I, yeah, I, I agree that you know that's part of, of of the fundamental idea, but at the same time, it's also the idea that it doesn't matter who plays these characters. Oh, sure, as long sure. as the as long as the main, you know, uh, the thrust of the character is there, it doesn't matter what what color they are. It doesn't really matter. Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, I mean, look at pull out ten dollar bill and look at Hamilton. Doesn't yeah. look Puerto Rican at all, right? He's yeah. a Scotchman, right? And uh, you know, but they, you know, the colorblind part of that works. And if anything, it, like I said, I'm trying. I was trying to like when I first saw it, you know, like wow. But then I kind of reconciled it with the whole they were at a disadvantaged position mm-hmm. and putting current current uh, sociology uh, minorities in those positions kind of convey that because the king was white yes you know, that, it that's make, the only it character make, in the script apparently that, that is defined as has to be white all the other yeah, characters yeah. well I think that's true right the king has to be the person from privilege right and you can't have a minority you can't have a Latino playing the king of England mm-hmm. so that's kind of where I drew from the yeah, rest of it yeah Yeah. So I, I'm giving Jeff, I'm gifting Jeff my BB-8, my uh, Your Spiro BB-8, my Spiro BB-8, because I don't really use it that much. I mean, it just sits around on my on my desk and does nothing, and there's really no point. And I think you'll, you and uh, Max, in particular, would get a lot of enjoyment out of it. So, my well, thank well. you. Thank you. You're welcome.
Oh, I also have, if you want it, I have my really nice tripod that can go and, and fit on that. Oh, for the the, yeah. the Binox? Uh, keep them with binoculars. I mean, they're not very... You keep the binoculars here, yeah. and they're not very useful without the tripod, so... I don't... Because I... Actually, I don't have a good tripod right now. What Most of our camera shots are taken off the phones, so I could bought our Gorillapod with a phone holder, right? Uh-huh. And when we're out in the woods or whatever, you kind of trying to treat or wrap it around, and you just use that as your tripod. I don't have, like, a on-the-ground tripod anymore. Well, let me give you this, because, I mean, I'm not using it, and uh, it's just it was sitting, like, on my desk, because mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I did it for the video two years ago, and, and nothing you happened. You sat the whole yeah. time. So I should at least maybe you can get some use out of it, like like the mm-hmm. you know like this BB-8 and like the binoculars I bought that I you know I, I had my fun with and I was like all right I'm done. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, sure. I'll take the tripod. Anything else you want to talk about? Oh, did I ever tell you? Did I talk about in the post show about, about reading uh, Neil Stevenson's Seven Neves? Did we talk yes. about that? Oh, okay. All right, I couldn't remember if we talked about it. Yeah, we talked about it, and your disappointment with the ending in particular. One thing I think I forgot to talk about is that he writes like he doesn't expect everyone to comprehend everything he wrote. Uh-huh. He recaps like so many goddamn times. <laughs> like I like there was like at least five times he recapped one premise. Like yes, I read that the first time. I don't need you to tell me about it four more times. It, so he, like, he writes a 900-page book, and but he also writes like he doesn't expect people to read all 900 pages. <laughs> Which, aside from the 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 Peter out ponderous ending, mm-hmm. um, that bugged me a lot. Sure, I can get that. That makes sense. Uh, let's see, is there anything else? Um... <laughs> Greg bought me uh, was that for my birthday I think you yeah. got me uh, Jimmy was it for your birthday or was uh, it for I'm not sure what you got for Jimmy Dimmick from Pulp Fiction yeah who is the uh, the character Quentin Tarantino in, plays Quentin Tarantino plays and it's kind of when Jules and uh, was it the wolf that goes to it's been so long since I've seen Pulp Fiction and they're like they got the Marcellus Wallace Mm-hmm. Dead body. Yeah, yeah. He has the coffee cup, right? Yeah. A, yeah, yeah. Coffee cup. He, so he, he's in a bathrobe and a coffee cup. He opens the door, and they come to him with this problem. And, and you know, it's not appropriate these days. Yes. But you know, does you see a sign that says "dead"? Mm-hmm. <laughs> because storing dead ain't my fucking business. That's why. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he gave himself the, the like the best lines in the. Yeah. It's okay. There's other good lines in there. Yeah, yeah. And then Reservoir Dogs, he played... Who did he play? He Mr. played Mr... Not Mr... I can't remember his color now. But he was... He was... He was the guy talking about Madonna at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's a great monologue yeah, right yeah. there. I have to watch... I haven't seen Pulp Fiction in so long. The... It, it still mostly holds up. It's long. Yeah, I never really liked the um, the scene where um, I can't think of the Vince. Uh, who did uh, <laughs> Jesus? I can't think of the uh, character name or the actor's John name. Travolta? John Travolta. Who did he play? Played, he played Vince. Vince and Mar- and Marcellus Wallace's wife. 
Oh, uh, uh, Uma Thurman. Uma Thurman, when they're in the, you know, that whole scene where they're in the restaurant and all that. Well, that was just to, to represent essentially them being very attracted to each other and wanting to fuck. Yeah. And, yeah, that was them getting closer and closer and that being like, well, they're going to fuck. And then him having to be like, oh, God, I have to not fuck her. And then, mm-hmm. and then you know, that seems like it'll be the, the issue. And then the, that hammer comes down. Right. And the story suddenly goes wildly off into another direction I see maybe I'd appreciate it now because yeah. I haven't seen I probably haven't seen things since we've been doing craft beer radio it's probably been 15-20 years since well, I've seen you should thing. probably see it again though. I gotta go to the bathroom so. alright you wanna wrap this yes alright laters <laughs>